Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Tellus Fuller and Grace Covenant Baptist, I guess. <laughs> That's our new thing. <laughs> I guess we're going. There's a... Uh... <laughs> We're kind of, we're kind of just like, uh, I guess this is where we're at now. There's stories in scripture, a man named David, who danced before the Lord with all of his might. You know, you have a soul that is meant to worship God, but you also have a body that's meant to worship God. And when we worship the Lord in our bodies, sometimes, even in the scriptures, people looked at David a little bit strange. And they're like, he's doing a lot right now. David brought back... The Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember the story, we can't go through it right now. David was so excited about the presence of God. It brought such a joy into his heart that it came out of his body. And in moments like what we just had, that's simply us saying the presence of the Lord is so, has been so good to us that my body has to respond. In the same way that I look at somebody that I love and I smile or I hear a joke and I laugh. Once we get into the presence of God, we automatically respond physically. So thank you for worshiping with us. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. And let's just real quick give it up for our worship team real quick. Y'all are nuts. My goodness. Pastor Tiffany, Darian, Darby, the whole worship team. Appreciate you guys so much. You guys are the absolute best. We're going to head, continue into our worship this morning. We're going to be in Psalms chapter 103. A few weeks ago, we spent some time in the first five verses of this psalm talking about what does it mean to bless the Lord. And we're going to continue in that psalm as David has been recounting all of God's benefits and how and why he blesses the Lord. We're about to get to the end of the benefits that David recounts and then move forward from verses 6 to 13 of Psalm 103. So if you would, would you stand with me in the reading of God's word? Psalm chapter 103. We're going to be studying verses 6 through 13, but we're going to read 1 through 13. And it says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that's within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I want to title this message just a simple question, really. The title of the message is, Do I Know Him? Do I Know Him? Would you pray with me for a minute? Lord Jesus, we love you too. 
Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place to do whatever you want to do. We love your ministry more than ours. And so would you minister, God, to deeply minister to our hearts and to our minds. We set apart this time for you, Lord, that you might have your will be done in our lives. We trust you with this time. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Amen. Amen. Do I know him? A simple question that has monumental consequences. The first part of this psalm, verses 1 through 5, really David is chronicling all of the benefits that he receives from God, and because of those benefits, he in turn blesses God. Now, as David blesses God, he gets to the reasons that he has forgiven our iniquities, he's forgiven our sins, he's healed us of our diseases, he crowns us with steadfast love and with mercy, he redeems our life from the pit. This psalm, if you have not memorized a psalm or a scripture for the month, I recommend this one. Because this entire psalm, you could preach a series on every single verse. You could say amen to every single verse. This psalm, David is simply recounting all of the benefits that he gets from the Lord. And we get to get the tail end of the benefits in chapter uh, 103 verse 5, which isn't necessarily in our scripture for today, but we didn't get to it a few weeks ago, where David mentions, the Lord satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David is mentioning that there is a world and there is a way where God can be so good to you that you are stronger. You see, your job can be good to you, your family can be good to you, you can be good to you, but you can only be good to you, your family can only be good to you, and your job can only be good to you from the outside in. David is not talking about an outside in goodness where I receive something or a blessing from the outside that makes me happier. No, he's saying that the God satisfies you with good so that you're stronger. He satisfies you from the inside out. This is not a blessing that is superficial or that is on the surface, but it comes from the inside side of you to the outside of you. He is that good. And out of that goodness, David says, I bless the Lord who satisfies me with good so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. He says, he works righteousness and justice to all who are oppressed. This weekend, we as a country got to celebrate Veterans Day. And I want to say on behalf of this church and our staff, if you have served, whether you're a family member, you are a veteran, we thank you for your service. We honor you for your service. You giving up your freedoms so that we can have freedom. You sacrificing so that we don't have to in the same way. We honor you that you have given your life for justice. And the scripture says that the Lord works all Right? Righteousness and justice towards all who are oppressed. You see, nobody will ever escape the justice of God. It can't happen. And the justice of God is essential to the character of God. 
No one will ever escape it. Justice of God will happen in one of two ways, ultimately. We will either trust ourselves for our own salvation and our own works, and God will judge us and be just according to our sin. For the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all worthy to be separated from him because of what we've done. You will either be judged by your actions or you will be judged by what Jesus did. He will actually look at what Jesus has done by taking your punishment upon himself. And therefore, the father will judge Jesus as if he had done something wrong. And he will judge you as if you were righteous. This is the way that God maintains his justice and doesn't just turn a blind eye to sin because he can't. The cross of Jesus Christ is the place at which the justice, mercy, and grace of God meet. It's justice in that the Lord punishes sin. It's mercy in that you don't get punished for your sin. And it's grace in that you get to become a child of God. The justice, mercy, and grace of God all meet here. And some of us might be thinking, well, don't justice and mercy actually conflict? How can God actually be just and merciful at the same time? Well, we have to think about who is God. The scriptures teach us that God is love. He does not just do love. So when he does something, he operates out of his nature. So when God is doing anything, there is always love in it. What is justice? Simply this, justice is God's love towards the victim. Mercy is God's love towards the perpetrator. Whatever God does, he does out of love. And justice and mercy are not contradictory and they're not conflicting. They are two sides of his love. He's always showing love, whether it's in his justice or in his mercy. All who are oppressed will see that God will take care, that everything will be just in the end. Do I know him? Do I know him? It says that he made his ways known to Moses and his acts known to the people of Israel. His ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. David is giving a distinction between the two, if you can see it. He's saying that he was more intimate with Moses than he was with Israel. And this is not talking about salvation specifically in that Israel was not saved and Moses was saved. No, the Exodus story that David is actually recounting here is that the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt for generations. God brings them out of Egypt and brings them into the promised land. It is an Exodus, if you will, a type of salvation. If you put on your New Testament hats real quick, as I recount this Old Testament story, tell me if you see the similarities to know that David isn't just talking about one thing. Salvation required the blood of the lamb to be painted on the doorpost for salvation. Their enemies to be defeated as they crossed through the Red Sea and the Israelites passed through on dry ground. The Israelites passed through waters so that they might be saved. They drank deeply from a rock who actually poured out living water. They received daily bread in the form of manna, and they entered into a land that is promised after they'd been saved that God prepared for them. You see, this salvation that we see in the Old Testament 
is just a shadow of the salvation we get in the new. We are covered by the blood of the lamb. Our enemy named sin, Satan in the grave has been defeated. We have passed through the waters of baptism. We have drunk deeply from the well in the rock, the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. He is our daily bread and the bread of life. And God went before us to prepare a place for us in heaven where we will finally be with him one day. You see, the salvation that David is talking about here is just a shadow of what we are experiencing now. And here's the thing. God is not after less than salvation, but he is certainly after more than salvation. If you're saved, that's great. God doesn't want to stop there. He wants you not to just know his acts, but he wants you to know his ways. Israel knew his acts. Moses knew knew his ways. Do I know him? Do I know him? You see, it's one thing when we proclaim something about God. That, what the church would typically call, is worship. The Psalms are full of it. You proclaim something about God. That's what we do in worship. We tell him who he is, how great he is, and we exalt him. When you proclaim something about God, that's worship. But what is it when God proclaims something about you? That's judgment. And that word probably just made some of us shake and quiver and we got goosebumps. No, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about judgment in church. Let's talk about the love of God. No, if you are a Christian, listen to me, you want God to judge you. Because if you're in Christ Jesus, do you know how he judges you? As righteous and loved and chosen and a son and a daughter of God. If you're in Jesus, the judgment of God is the blessing on your life. That he has sounded the gavel and there is no more discussion who and what you are, whose you are. You are his. You want to be judged by God if you're in Christ. When we proclaim something about God, that's worship. When God proclaims something about us, that's judgment. And God proclaimed something about two very important men, Moses and David. Moses, the one who we're hearing the story about, and David, the one who's writing the psalm. Moses, if you remember, was actually called a friend of God. God actually gave his personal name to Moses, not Elohim, not just a divine being, not just Lord, not just Adonai. He gave him his name, Yahweh. That's what God told Moses. He said, I'm so close to you, I am actually going to make you a friend of God, and I'm going to give you my name. In the same way, David, who wrote this psalm, was known as a man after God's own heart. David actually established a new form of worship within the tabernacle, a constant worship that went on, and God judged David as a man after his own heart and Moses as a friend of God. So honestly, this psalm is simply this. A man after God's own heart, remembering a friend of God, telling us about the nature of God. That's what this is. And we get to experience the nature of God in this psalm. God telling us who God is. If you're saying, well, no, didn't David write this? Exodus chapter 34 This is what the Lord says to Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, and just look at the similarities between Exodus 34 and Psalm 103. 
The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You see, what David is doing here is David is just recounting what the Lord had already told Moses. If you want to know God, it is not about praying new creative prayers, but faithful old ones. This is what God has said about himself. And so if God telling us about us is judgment and us proclaiming something about God is worship, then what is it when God tells us about God? That would be a revelation. And the rest of this psalm is God telling us about God. He made his ways known to Moses and his acts known to the people of Israel. You see, Israel knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. Why is that important? It's because this. Israel knew God for what he had done for them, not for who he was. Moses knew God for who he was. Therefore, he was called a friend of God. This whole message is an invitation to intimacy. If you would, you can be close to God. You see, Israel knew God for how he answered their prayers and how he relieved their pain. Israel knew God because he heard their cry in Egypt. He sent the plagues to deliver them. He opened up the Red Sea. He got manna from heaven and quail on the ground. He actually got brought water from a rock. Their sandals didn't wear out. Israel knew God because of what God had done for them in relieving their pain and answering their prayers. And that might be some of us in this room, that we know God based on what he's done for us and that he's made me financially stable when I wasn't. He's brought my family back together when we were broken. He's healed me of a disease. He set me free of an addiction. And all of those things are great things to know God by. But here's the thing, that is simply what he has done for you, not who he is. Why does that matter? It's because there will be only so deep that you can go with God if you base your relationship with him off of what he has done for you. Simply relieving your pain, and answering your prayers. But Moses knew his ways. Moses experienced everything that Israel experienced, and yet he was distinct from them. He was different from them. And I know most of us would love to say, no, I'm more like Moses than I am like Israel. But if we're honest, we're more like Israel than we are like Moses, because we kind of recount our relationship with God based off of what he's done for us. And hear me, this is not a bad thing. We ought to remember his good deeds towards us. If you want friendship with him, we need to go deeper than that, though. And this is an invitation, a revelation that God is telling us about God. You see, you know you're somebody's friend when you know their ways. You ever have that friend who you and them are like best friends, like close you can like read each other's minds, twin telepathy kind of thing. You just, you, you can have all the same inside jokes. And if you're in a room and something really awkward happens, you don't have to say a word. All you got to do is 
give them a look, and then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I know exactly. Yep, we don't have to say a word. We know exactly what's going on, and you talk about it later. One of my friends like that is Kalen Baker. I've known him for like my entire life, and he and I are like that, where it's like words don't need to be said. Things just happen. We're the type of friends where like, we're not allowed to be on the same team during game night kind of friends. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's just cheating if you're together because we'll be playing taboo and all of a sudden he'll be like, um, um, uh, summer of 2011. And I'm like, Scooby-Doo. And he's like, yes. And we're like, wait, what? And I was like, how did you know that? What? Like that kind of friends, you know? And, and the reason why Kalen knows me so well is because he's spent time with me. You see, you could be in this church every Sunday for a year, hear every message I've ever preached, and we still wouldn't be best friends. Why? Because this is what I do, not who I am. Kalen knows who I am. Moses knew who God was. Israel knew what he did. It's a good thing to know what God does, but if you want an invitation to know him like Moses did, then I'm not going to base my relationship with him based off of my answered prayers and my relieved pain. Israel knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. Do I know him? James 4.8 is an invitation that if you allow it to, will change your life. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. If you actually receive that into your heart, that will change your walk with God forever. Because what does this mean? It means that I am as close to God as I want to be. Why? Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Who draws first? So if I'm far away from God, it's not God's fault. And some of us are like, whoa, 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 religion, religion. And our religion bells are like ringing right now. We're like, no, I don't draw near to God. God is, hey, listen, I know. God has already drawn near to you on the cross. He has said yes to you far before you said yes to him. And he has loved you with an everlasting love. Absolutely. Jesus has poured his love on you at the cross. And he has said, I love you and I choose you. You drawing near to him is simply saying, I love you too. He has already said that he loves you. James 4.8 is just saying, I love you too. And if we want, we can be as close to God as we want. I draw near to God and God will draw near to me. Do I know him? Do I know him? You see, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God is telling us about God. Do I know him? This is a revelation. This is the time where Jesus, the Lord is speaking to us about the nature of God. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. David is teaching us something here. In the rest of the psalm, in these next few verses, he's going to keep on expounding on the nature of God. And I'm convinced that people sometimes get so upset with God and how the world is and how their life is is because their theology starts with them and not with God. What does that mean? It means if my theology starts with me, then I'm at the center of God's universe. If my theology starts with God, then he's at the center. 
If my theology starts with me, then God owes me something. If my theology starts with God, then then I owe God something. And if my theology always begins with me, I'm never going to see God's goodness as a blessing. I'm going to see it as what I'm owed. God does not owe you goodness. And what hubris to think because we are so loved, we are so good. We are not so good, but we are so loved. And that love transform us, transforms us to then do good. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. There is one good man and his name is Jesus. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And it's true. God is so good. It's, it, it, and here's an important question, more important realization that we need to know. Is that God always does things for a reason. He does not just flippantly do things or flippantly treat you any certain kind of way. And, and it's great for us to hear that, that God is so good to us and he loves us with an everlasting love and he has poured his love out on us that we might just receive it and then from that we're transformed from the inside out to then do good because he loves us, not, not do good because he loves us, not do good so that he loves us. It's an amazing gift. But let me tell you, that is not where it stops. God does not just do good to you because he likes you so much. He does good to you for a reason, so that something might happen. Why is God so merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? Why is God so patient towards you? It's so that you might repent. That's why God is patient. Does he love you? Yes. Does he like you a lot? Yes. And it's not just because he likes you so much that he's not letting anything happen to us, that he's not pouring his judgment on us. It's because he wants us to repent. Repenting is turning away from ourselves and turning towards God. And when we turn towards God, then he pours out a blessing on us. You see, God is so patient with us so that he might be so good to us. And his true goodness comes in the form of forgiving us of our sins, cleansing cleansing us of our iniquities, inviting us into repentance. You see, it's not love for somebody to see you going the wrong way in destruction something that hurts you, something that's going to bring you pain, and then allowing you to do it because I love you. It's not love if I knew that you were going to a dangerous place and I didn't warn you about it because I love you. God is so patient with you and God wants you to repent because he knows where you're going if you don't. 
He knows the pain. He knows that sin erodes you from the inside out and that it breaks all of your relationships with him, others, and yourself. He knows that you are accruing a debt that you could never pay and that you are going to drown in sorrows and this place will lead you to no other place except for death. And he says, I'm patient with you so that I might pay the debt that you're accruing, give you the life that you don't deserve and bring you into a family that you weren't originally born into. He's patient with you so that you might repent, so that he might be so good to you. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Do I know him? He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever, for he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Chide, he doesn't chastise you. He's not scolding you. He's not rebuking you always. Some of us in that word say, well, is God going to rebuke me? Is he going to chide me? Is that what this means? Yeah, he will. And some of us, that makes us very uncomfortable because we think God rebukes me when I do something wrong, not because he loves me. And if we always think that God's actions towards us are determined by our behavior towards him, we will always live within religion. But Hebrews chapter 12 says this, that God actually disciplines those whom he loves. So if you are disciplined by God, that is him loving you. That is actually his protection over you. And here's the reality. God will discipline you. He will rebuke you, but not forever. There will come to an end. This time will not last. And if you are a Christian, and specifically a Christian at Grace Covenant Church, I want to speak to you for just a second. God is not one that rebukes people forever for a one-time thing, so we ought not to be. If you find a season where there is a necessary rebuke to make to somebody, that's fine. But do not let that moment become a banner over their life because that is not the way that Christ has treated you. It says that he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The one who has all authority to judge us based off of what we've done chooses to forget what we've done and treat us like his son. He doesn't pay us back according to our iniquities or according to our deeds, but actually he pays us according to his. You see, God is not fair and you don't want him to be because fairness would be giving you what you deserve. And we, we don't deserve him. We don't. Instead, he's gracious instead of fair. And he gives you what Jesus worked for. And he doesn't pay you according to your own deeds. He pays you according to Jesus's deeds. And so Jesus got bad so that you could get God. And you might say in your mind, that's very unfair. Yeah. And thank God that he isn't fair. Because he's gracious instead. He doesn't pay us according to our iniquities. And he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Do I know him? 
do I know him? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. The heavens are above the earth. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. That's what David is saying. He's saying, lift up your eyes. And consider the stars, the word heavens here, the stars, the galaxies, the cosmos, the sky. He says, lift up your eyes and consider the world. And he says, that's how much God loves you. And if you're like me, you're kind of like, that's so abstract. Like, I get he's trying to be beautiful and poetic, but like, what does that even mean? And there's a picture that I found that NASA took um, from Voyager 1, if we could throw that on the screen. And this picture, you might be looking at it and say, I, what, is that a picture of like a, a flare? Like, is that a flash that went wrong? No, no, no. This is a picture from Voyager 1, and that speck on the screen, that's Earth. This is the furthest picture of Earth that we have, 3.7 billion miles away. They've coined this picture, pale blue dot. And if you're like me, you look at that picture and you're like, humbled, well, you're actually laughing because you ever get to the point where you're like, man, we're on a floating rock in the middle of space and I got to play taxes. You know what I mean? Like you just get to that point. You're like, really? Like in the big, like, let's let's see the bigger picture. Like I have to go to the grocery store and fill up gas. If you're like me, you think about like, man, earth is not that significant in the grand scheme of things. Like we are that tiny and that's not even the entire universe. And then I get humbled and I'm like, man, we're not, we're not that big. And then I get really grateful because I'm like, God loves that pale blue dot. He loves every country on that pale blue dot. He loves every people group on that pale blue dot. He loves every family on that pale blue dot. He loves every person on that pale blue dot. You're in this room and we consider the galaxy and the universe and we're like, God, you have a universe to be preoccupied with and yet you're preoccupied with that pale blue dot? David is saying, as far as the heavens are above the earth and God has a bigger perspective than that. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love towards those who fear him. He's saying an unimaginable amount. It's so great that I can't even perceive his great love for me. It's so great that I can't even imagine and begin to think about his great love for me. And God loves you so much that with the entire universe, he looks at that pale blue dot. He says, I love them. And I love that one. And I love every person sitting in this room on that pale blue dot. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. 
And I'm grateful that David didn't say as far as the north is from the south because if you go north, if you keep going north, you're going to end up at one point going south. But if you go east, there is never a point where you will end up going west. God is saying that as far as the east is from the west is as far as I've removed your transgressions from you. He's saying that your sins are so far removed from you, you can't even find them anymore. So if God has removed your sin from you so much, why are you still living as if he treats you according to it? He's saying, I will not treat you according to your sin. I have died to free you from your sin, to cleanse you from your sin, to separate you from your sin, that you might never again know your sin. He says, I did this on purpose that your sins would never come back to you again. As far as the east is from the west, which doesn't even make sense, is how far I've removed your transgressions from you. Do I know him? And as a father shows compassion towards his children, so the Lord shows compassion towards those who fear him. You might be sensing a theme as I close of those that fear the Lord. And this fear is not talking about somebody who shakes at the thought of him. This fear is talking about somebody who bows at the sight of him. That I realize who I am and who he is. I see the discrepancy and I say, whoa. You're big and you're beautiful and you're good and you're massive and you're righteous and, you are, and you're so much bigger than I could ever imagine and yet you are mindful of me. It's the fear of the Lord that causes us to draw close to God, not away from him. It's the fear of the Lord that says, God, you are holy, which is one of the most important words for us to understand as it pertains to Yahweh. Because holy means that he is unlike anything else. He is different. He is separate. He is so unlike us. He is actually uninfluenceable. That is part of being holy because he cannot be influenced by anything that he does not desire to be influenced by, which is a very good thing because you cannot convince God to show less compassion to you. Your sins are not strong enough for you to convince God away from you. But he is so holy that he has decided upon you his love. And now from that place, you can say, God, you're holy and I fear you. There is nothing that I can do to make you love me less. There is nothing I can do to make you love me more. You have decided in and of yourself to love me. And as a father shows compassion on his children, he has now decided to show compassion towards those that fear him. That's the type of compassion that the Lord has for you if you're in Christ Jesus. And that's why I believe that David could simply write, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that's within me bless his holy name. He who forgives you of all your iniquities and heals you of all of your diseases. 
He who crowns you, redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and with mercy. He who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He works righteousness and justice towards all who are oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses and his acts known to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide and he will not keep his anger forever. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high, so great is his steadfast love towards us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion towards his children, so the Lord shows compassion towards those who fear him. Do I know him? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to know you. We want to know you in the way that you want us to know you.